The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. When all the votes are tallied, I am confident we will win. We can see the path ahead. We can see victory ahead. Nothing has changed on how we see the stock market. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I mean, this administration just doesn't, it doesn't seem to get a lot done. You may be asking, what's Peloton? This party is united and is poised to take back the Senate and to save this country. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Republican Senate primary in Pennsylvania still up in the air. But the youngest member of Congress is packing his bags, or will be soon. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics on this day after. We'll have the latest from Pennsylvania and the four other states that hit the polls with the Trump brand on the line in more than two dozen races this week. We'll talk about it in a moment with Lincoln Mitchell, writer and political analyst at Columbia University. Analysis ahead from our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis in for the hour. And later, you may have to add summer blackouts to your list of problems. And it's partly because of climate change, not why you think, though. A Bloomberg story you need to hear about from our own Noreen Malik in New York. Today's destruction in the markets made its way to the White House uh, by way of the press briefing today. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, I've got to get used to saying that. Uh, Bloomberg's Justin Sink in the briefing room. He asked the question the White House prefers not to answer. Listen to this. We're now getting to a point where some of the gains that mm-hmm. um, have defined the president's tenure are being erased. And so is there a, a new level of alarm within the White House about Well, as you know, we say this all the time, uh, Justin, you know, it's uh, Justin. Uh, the Fed chair, you know, the Federal Reserve is independent. We leave them to make their own policy decisions. We do not get involved in that. And nothing has changed on how we see the stock market. Uh, we do not. That's not something that we keep an eye on every day. Uh, so I don't I'm not going to comment about that from here. Not going to comment on on what I thought was a very well framed question by Justin Sink, referring to the gains that have been a hallmark of this administration, helped to define the early days of the Biden White House, the rebound in the stock market, just like the job market. It's one of the good stories the administration could tell, even though it wasn't, or I guess is not telling it now. Uh, Let's dig into this a bit deeper. Before we turn to primary night, Bloomberg Markets reporter Abigail Doolittle is with us. A special treat here on Sound On. Abigail, thanks for joining us. People keep trying to call the bottom in this market. Uh, Is that going to be possible, though, as long as inflation remains such a big story? Tough business to do, and great to be here with you, Joe. Uh, You know, it's clearly a difficult year, and it's an interesting point that you're making there around the White House and also the connection with inflation, because today, of course, stocks plunging as 
Charlie was outlining, and it has everything to do with one of investors' worst fears coming true, and that is that the soaring inflation picture finally hitting the corporate profit outlook. Yesterday, it was Walmart. Today, Target tumbling more than 25%, the worst day since 1987. That's an important point because that was panicked selling back then. That's the kind of selling we had today as investors are somehow caught off guard by the fact that the company can't manage soaring inflation. Trying to call a bear market in this sort of environment, or excuse me, a bottom in this sort of environment, I think that that's probably a fool's game, especially when you, after the bell, have a company like Cisco bringing down guidance in a big way. That reminds me of 2007 and ahead of the brutal selling in 2008. So a a lot of moving pieces here. That also probably means we're not bouncing back a thousand points tomorrow, right? Probably not. Now, I that said, I do think that there is the case, the possibility for some sort of a bear market rally, but not in a straight line up because we are still above last week's low, which suggests that the buyers, the dip buyers could come back, but in a very uneven, unpredictable way. The bigger picture, though, and especially when you bring in the fundamental macros of the macro of uh, the S&P 500 being a forecasting tool six months out, what is it telling us? Probably a recession at some point, plus the yield curve inverting back in the beginning of April, a recession. So if we have some sort of a reprieve, and if you recall back into other periods, difficult periods, 2000, 2003, that was a rolling bear market where there was lots of rallies in there. 2008, there were a couple of very nice rallies. So again, we might get a reprieve, but the picture's not so nice. Maybe don't read into it too far. Abigail Doolittle, thank you. This stock market route is happening Just as the primary season gets underway in earnest, last night was the biggest one we've had yet. Uh, The biggest race on the map last night, the Republican Senate primary in Pennsylvania, remains undecided right now. It's almost 24 hours later. Here's how it sounded last night with Dr. Oz and David McCormick. Unfortunately, we're not going to have resolution tonight, but we can see the path ahead. We can see victory ahead. And it's all because of you. So thank you, Pennsylvania. When all the votes are tallied, I am confident we will win. (laughs) Yeah, how about that? That was Dr. Oz right there. Trying to be definitive without knowing. He, of course, endorsed by Donald Trump, up by about two-tenths of a percent now, leading McCormick by fewer than 2,000 votes. That's where things stand. And don't hold your breath uh, for this to be called. It's not going to happen during the program here. There are 100,000 mail-in ballots, uh, I read, that have to be processed and counted. And Pennsylvania law says elections officials can't start doing that till election day. So they're just getting into this now as we get into this race and a few others from last night with Lincoln Mitchell, author and political scientist from Columbia University, adjunct associate research scholar in the Arnold Saltzman Institute of War and Peace Studies at Columbia to get the business card right. Lincoln, thanks for joining us. Uh, Some were surprised by David McCormick's strength in the primary. Uh, Would Dr. Oz have been a contender without Donald Trump? He would have been a contender, but he wouldn't be neck and neck with with Dave McCormick without Donald Trump. And and the reason for that is that there were two very Trumpy candidates in the race uh, for that primary. In some respects, Mehmet Oz was not the most Trumpy candidate. That was Kathy Barnett. Yeah. But Trump's endorsement of Oz, I think, took votes from Barnett and gave them to Oz. And that is the margin. If he wins this thing, that will be the difference. Why did... Uh Barnett not impressed last evening that the whole story leading into the primary was this surging uh, out of nowhere candidate with little money, but kind of fizzled on voting day. Well, yes and no. Right. So she got almost a quarter of the vote. 
in a race where 32% is going to, no candidate is going to get 32% most likely. Yeah. So she was kind of in the thick of it. And, you know, campaigns, the media coverage of campaigns tends to be about momentum and, you know, who's saying what, but a lot of campaigns are operational, who has the most money, who can really kind of get the campaign trains running. And that's yeah. below the radar stuff. But I suspect that Barnett did not do as strongly there as she would have liked. Donald Trump is urging, uh, I can't keep calling him Dr. Oz the rest of the year. Can't Mehmet Oz, not to ease Dr. Oz. Trump posted on Truth Social, Dr. Oz should declare victory. It makes it much harder for them to cheat, he wrote, with the ballots that they, quote, just happened to find. Uh, are you surprised Dr. Oz has not done this, in fact, declare victory? Well, first of all, congratulations for looking at Truth Social. I that didn't. Make I, the, I lifted it from <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> that might make you like the 11th person outside the Trump right. family to do that. Well, I don't um, know. From a, from a strategic perspective, it's never, you know, this this line that Trump keeps saying that every time he loses or someone he doesn't, he likes loses, that the election was stolen is a lie. And it's very damaging to democracy. Yeah. And if that seems to be what Donald Trump wants to do, so from that perspective, sure, why not? From a more strategic perspective, it's not a bad idea to declare victory because then if the race is close, you know, if the race is close, if there are questions, and sometimes there are, not because someone is cheating or not because some secretary of state is doing shenanigans, but because there are questions, you know, was this ballot spoiled or not? You have kind of a strategic advantage. But realistically, it doesn't matter what uh, Oz says until – all yeah, of the ballots sure. are counted, and we're going to have to count the ballots. And we went through this in Pennsylvania in November of 2020 when, mm -hmm. as many expected, the absentee votes pushed Biden over the top there. So Pennsylvania, you know, you, you know what Trump feels about Pennsylvania. Oh, God. Here we go again. Would Oz or McCormick exactly. uh, pose a stronger challenge to John Fetterman, or is it the same race? My sense is that this is the same race, and I say that for two reasons. One, the only thing we know for sure about electability is that we don't know anything about electability. So anytime some pundit like me says this one's electable, this one's not, we're just guessing. We don't know what we're saying. And, you know, Donald Trump in, in, Jan in mid-2015, it was axiomatic that Donald Trump could never get elected president. In mid-2007, it was axiomatic that Barack Obama could never get elected president. Huh. So my sense is that this is going to be a very close race. Pennsylvania is always a close state. Yeah. All of the kind of macro big picture trends say that this is uh, going to be a Republican year. Pennsylvania may not be an exception to that. On the other hand, the Democrats have nominated an unusual, intriguing candidate who well, may be able right. to pull some of those voters, particularly some of those younger male voters away from Trump or the Republican Party back to Fetterman and the Democratic Party. With a drive and, to legalize marijuana, they say may bring in voters who wouldn't otherwise vote Lincoln. Exactly. And it sends a message that he's not this kind of stodgy old eat your broccoli Democrat. And 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 there's one other there's he one doesn't other eat data. Broccoli. No way. I, uh, that's my point. Right. <laughs> one other one other point I would make is that for all of this talk about how this is going to be such a Republican year. And don't forget, there was a competitive, more or less Republican primary for governor in Pennsylvania. We haven't talked about that much, but there's a story there. There was I'm, not a, a competitive primary for Democrat. Josh Shapiro ran on a post. Yes. And. And only 120,000 more Republican voters came out. So there's more, perhaps more Democratic strength in Pennsylvania than it seems at first cut right now. I want to get into that race with you because Trump did have a win uh, in the Republican yeah. gubernatorial race. Doug Mastriano got the nod. Yes. Uh, uh, Described in almost every major news uh, 
organization as a 2020 election denier. He's the election denier uh, who today prompted the Cook political report to turn the race from toss up to lean Democrat. Uh, here, by the way, if we can hear from uh, the nominee, here's Mastriano on stage last night. They like to call people who stand on the Constitution far right and extreme. I repudiate that. That is crap. Okay. Uh, Lincoln, the state Democratic Party actually sent out mailers supporting Mastriano. I, this part of the story is great. His Democratic opponent, who you mentioned, Josh Shapiro, spent over $800,000 on ads calling Mastriano too conservative and, quote, one of Trump's strongest supporters, unquote. And it actually, I mean, they looked like attack ads, but they boosted his standing among conservatives. Um, right. And those, is that the kind of confidence that, I mean, is that appropriate for Democrats to be that confident? The short answer to that is no. Uh the longer answer to that is that those statements are, in fact, empirically true about Mastriano. And we shouldn't, you know, Josh Shapiro is not, is, is an actual real person here. And he's a very good candidate. He's sharp. He's smart. He's a good looking guy. So I think he's the right guy for the Democrats hmm. uh, to be nominating. And he has a real shot at winning. Um, but again, you know, the Mastriano can win. The Republican Party nominee in Pennsylvania this year is going to have a real shot for governor, no matter who it is. And the damage it would do, not just to Pennsylvania, but imagine the 2024 election if yeah. instead of Governor Wolf, who was a Democrat in office in 2020 in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. there is a Republican governor to go along with what would very likely be a Republican majority in the Pennsylvania state legislature. Could appoint a Republican a slate of electors, slate could overturn electors. The, the will of the voters. So we are really getting into, I know it's, a, it's overstated, but yeah, no, really it's uncharted not. territory as we approach 2024. Absolutely. Uh, one big uh, loss came in North Carolina. Madison Cawthorn, I have to ask you about before you go, the youngest member of Congress. Uh, yes. He lost to state Senator Chuck Edwards. Can we even judge this as a Trump loss? I mean, with with all the trouble that Cawthorn made for himself, he, he sort of created his own reality. He created his own reality. But look, Donald Trump's been creating his own reality for decades. Yes. And and part of Donald Trump's reality was that Madison Cawthorn should get reelected. And he went and endorsed him. So I think this is a defeat for Trump. I don't know that it means anything. Congressman Ed Edwards, who is likely going to win that, that that general election and go to Washington, is going to vote and, and present and have the same impact on legislation and policy as Madison Cawthorn will. He will probably have uh, better control over his personal life. I suspect that wouldn't take a lot. Uh, no, it would not. Lincoln, I'm glad you came to talk to us today. Great insights from Lincoln Mitchell, Columbia University, with us on the fastest hour in politics come back often lincoln over the course of this campaign cycle we've got wild stories to talk about we're really just getting into this now if you can imagine the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in doha for the carter economic forum powered by bloomberg join heads of state influential ministers and leading ceos to make new connections gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm not sure if you can say last night was anything but a win for Donald Trump. When you think about it, even the losers in some cases were Trumpier than the winners in the races he chose to endorse. Let's assemble the panel here. Great to hear Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis uh, back together and certainly a lot to talk about after last evening. Isn't that the truth, Jeannie? We're not only talking about Trump all day and I'm part of this. I'm lighting the fires again, apparently in 2022. But 
when you look at the contest, particularly this uh, Senate race in Pennsylvania, they were all trying to get closer to Trump, no matter which candidate he picked. Yeah. And, and, you know, even if uh, McCormick wins over Oz, Oz endorsed by Trump and McCormick not, you know, McCormick has famously, you know, shied away from (coughs) saying basic things like President Biden was the is the duly elected president. I mean, that's how far to the MAGA portion of the party all three of these candidates are and McCormick being the least of the three. So that's where we are. And, if you know, you were just talking about this with Lincoln Trump out today saying that Dr. Oz should just do what he did in 2020 and just say, I won. The I have the votes mm-hmm. right now. I won. And of course, what's going to happen if McCormick pulls this through, which on mail ballots, he very likely could. Trump is going to claim that the election was once again stolen. So to your point, <laughs> this is all about Trump and the candidates are supporting that. I've been looking forward to uh, to your top line on, on the evening uh, as a whole here, Rick, I, and, it, and I do feel like Pennsylvania is sort of the, the focal point, uh, certainly, that we have taken, although there were a number of other races around the country that speak to what happened. But, you know, the, the Republican contests coast to coast were resonating Trump. When you look at some of the folks who won, and in this case, an undecided race between two Trump supporting candidates in Pennsylvania, what do you feel? You know, look, I think, you know, Donald Trump has the energy in the party. He doesn't have every single Republican in the party that backs him, but he has the activists. And and the activists really turned out in this election. I mean, this was one of the highest uh, GOP turnouts in a primary in two decades. I mean, that's actually saying something. We keep talking about what the numbers are, but this was a really good turnout for Republicans. The story here is that that whatever got him excited, and we think it's probably Donald Trump's in involvement in this campaign, uh, as everyone has said, each one of these three candidates running for the Senate and and the guy who won the, the, the governor's nomination were all Trump apostles. Mm-hmm. And so you got to give him some of that due, and, and he's turning people out. Not only was the election in 2022 or 2020 – you know, the, the highest turnout in 100 years, but now we see it replicated here. The, the, the really bad news uh, is, is that the Democratic Party seems to lack that energy, lack that turnout capability. Um, you know, we know the intensity is down from the surveys we've read. And so while we're all talking about Donald Trump and his impact on the Republican Party, the Democrats were wishing they had somebody who could actually generate that kind of excitement. Well, sure. Uh, your read on the, the Senate primary, Rick, is this something that you, you think Dr. Mehmet Oz can pull out? You know, look, I mean, most of the um, uh, energy on the early ballots, you know, the absentee or the mail-in yep. ballots were McCormick. He's winning those slightly above uh, Oz, but Oz won Election Day. So you got to assume Oz's numbers are in and and that he's going to sort of lose dribs by drabs. I mean, in just the preparatory time of this 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 program, um, McCormick picked up 200 votes. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, and there's only 1,700, you know, dividing them. So uh, if you do play the long game, you see, uh, could, he, could he make up that 1,700? I, I think the answer is sure. And uh, within a half, uh, it, it's a half percent, this, this, this prompts a recount, right? This wouldn't be a runoff, but a recount. And then the fun begins, Jeannie, if we got to that point. Oh, I think we're going to get there. And let's not forget, we, we not only may see a recount, we could see candidates filing lawsuits. Well, that's so, where I'm going. Yeah. yeah, this thing could extend and extend out. And one thing I think Rick is right to talk about turnout, but I do want to say Democratic turnout in several of these states 
outpaced 2018, and a lot of people are asking why. Some people suggesting it may be abortion. I'm not sure. But when you look at Fetterman, he won every single county. You know, not a typical Democratic candidate. Certain Conram, his opponent, was the Biden candidate, if you will, lost Mm. big time. So Democrats may have a candidate there who they could use across the country as sort of somebody who could break through what's otherwise a really good Republican year. They're hoping. Uh, Rick, do you put Dr. Oz in a hoodie and and shorts and get him out there if that's the race? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) How do you Um, beat John Fetterman? You know, look, I mean, I think that, first of all, it's going to be um, um, advantage Republicans, right? I mean, there's there's just no disputing the anxiety that voters have toward the current administration. Mm. Uh, uh, Biden's going to be on the ballot along with Fetterman, whether he likes it or not. And, 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 and in that regard, uh, you're probably advantage uh, Oz or whoever the Republican nominee is. Uh, then they've got to run a good campaign. And there's no question Fetterman is a talented Paul who has done an enormous job. Uh, who is hopefully going to get out of the hospital and campaign hard because we yeah, want to sure. see the Rock'em Sock'em campaign that Pennsylvania is known for. It's going to be a riot. Uh, how about uh, Doug Mastriano? What do you make of the the idea that Democrats helped to get him elected, thinking that he would be easier to knock down? Is that a, a fool's errand? Well, I, I would say that's a dangerous errand because – um, the only thing worse than them actually getting him the nomination is him being in position to be the governor. Well, and, yeah. And, and, and so who's going to be held to blame for that at that stage? Um, trying to be too cute by half in politics usually doesn't work out well. Uh, and again, I mean, like everyone's talking today about what a oddball this guy Mastriano is. And, you know, he's, you know, really uh, stunk up by the January 6th activity yeah, sure. and, and that kind of thing. But this could be such a Republican year that people like him even get elected. And that's saying something about the strength of the Republican cycle. But it also is a warning that be careful who you, you put into the nominee so spot. Jeannie, you could have Democrats having put thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars into ads that, that, that supposedly helped Mastriano get elected to make more ads in a general with images of him in Washington on January 6th and help him to win the whole thing with the same strategy. Yeah, and and here's a guy with a very radical message. You know, he wanted to, he was fighting to overturn the election in 2020. He's somebody who was at the rally on January 6th. He wants to appoint a secretary of state that will throw out the voter rolls. It's very dangerous territory. Democrats have to be careful. You know, this is not to compare Mastriano to Ronald Reagan or Hillary Clinton, but, you know, they did the same thing in some of these races where they got you know, overboard on sort of, you know, even when Ronald Reagan was running for governor way back when, in terms of saying, this guy can never win, let's push him forward. And yeah. what did he do? He won. So that's <laughs> dangerous territory. But Joe, if you if we have Fetterman on, we can all wear hoodies and shorts, that's including right. Rick Davis. So yeah, that's right. Even at a presidential <laughs> event. Hey, Rick, you're not going to have Madison Cawthorn to kick around anymore, huh? All I can say after that last comment is it's a good thing we're on radio and no one will ever know if I'm wearing a hoodie or not. Um, yeah, Madison Hawthorne, he's history, toast, put a fork in him, he's done, <laughs> turn the page. We're all back together. Rick, Jeannie, Joe, back in the nation's capital following a lovely visit to the hub of the universe. Wasn't that fun in Boston? Coming up next, they're talking blackouts because we needed more to worry about this summer. It's a climate change story. We'll have it next. This is Bloomberg. 
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to Boston, Bloomberg 106.1, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The headline on the terminal, vast swath of U.S. at risk of summer blackouts. Great, because high gas prices and a war in Ukraine were not enough. We'll talk about it next with Bloomberg's Noreen Malik. You you think about where the national consciousness might be come the depths of summer. Gas prices, maybe at new highs, recent highs, possible food shortages because of everything going on in the war. Can't get baby formula The government now warning of possible political violence tied to the Roe v. Wade decision. Let's call that a worst case scenario uh, for everyone, for this administration, certainly. Until I read this story on the terminal today, we could add another layer. A vast swath of North America from the Great Lakes to the West Coast at risk of blackouts this summer as heat, drought, shuttered power plants and supply chain woes strain the electric grid. This is real. And we get to talk about it with Bloomberg's Noreen Malik. Uh, Noreen, I was really taken. Thank you for coming in to bring this important story to us. Taken by the cause, as you write, climate change is partly to blame. And it's not what people might think uh, as much as the fact that it, it, it's, it's limiting supplies of hydroelectric power. Our power is evaporating, isn't it? Yes, uh, these, the U.S. grids are facing multiple stress factors right now. You know, for years we've been seeing on and off, like in California and the West, where drought conditions, really dry conditions, are reducing the amount of hydropower. So that lower snowpack in the mountains and just lower rain over fall means that there's, uh, sorry, over the winter and, and yeah. spring means that there's less water that's going into reservoirs to run these hydro plants. So that's been um, an issue for years, and it's now being exacerbated by even more extreme weather conditions, so more severe droughts, um, which can also um, make the heat in summer more intense. And then on top of that, the grids are facing, um, you know, like we're trying to like protect against climate change by pursuing this fast energy transition and by, you know, adding more solar and wind. And, but that's also adding a lot of stress to the grid because Wind and solar, you know, they're going to supply power when there's sunshine and when the wind is blowing. And so it's intermittent. And part yeah, of and, and you don't have enough backup power to um, smooth out the variations, the fluctuations, mm-hmm. especially at in the evening. Like when the sun sets, you have such a massive drop in solar generation in California and increasingly in Texas that you need to quickly bring on within like an hour. And that stresses the grid, that ages the equipment. You write that electricity supplies will be especially tight in the Midwest, how come? So the the stress in the Midwest has been growing for a while. There's a lot of coal plants, they're shutting down. You know, it's a trend across the country, but what was really stunning is several weeks ago, you know, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, or MISO, um, they run the grid from the Midwest to the Gulf Coast. They ran an auction to like secure supply for this summer. Um, and they suddenly didn't have five gigawatts, more than five gigawatts show up. And at least three gigawatts is coal. And, and the yeah. rest 
versus natural gas, and they're shutting down faster than expected even a year earlier. Wow. So they also have a transition. They are seeing demand um, rebound faster post-pandemic. And then they also just suddenly have a lot of supply missing. Well, this is a heck of a story. I hope uh, that everyone gets a chance to read it. Noreen, thank you for giving us a little bit of a chance to understand this as we are now also at risk of summer blackouts. Let's bring the panel back as promised. Rick and Jeannie are here. Rick, this is the kind of thing that uh, the president, you know, I suppose is going to take the blame for no matter what the administration does at this point. It's going to reflect once again on energy policy. People are going to say it's the same guy who is causing me to pay almost five dollars a gallon for gas. Yeah, the gas is going to be a drain uh, to uh, to his ability to communicate with voters because they're going to be so angry. Uh, I heard today that the uh, the Fed's misery index, I haven't heard that since Jimmy Carter was president, uh, is the highest now since it was in the 1980s, Jimmy Carter. And, and I think those are the kinds of things we're going to hear more and more of. I mean, misery is spelled in a lot of different ways economically, but um, for voters, uh, they're already experiencing it. And when you then start stacking that onto, okay, what does he talk about? Well, he can say that he got this trillion dollar infrastructure bill pass and we're going to be building a upgraded grid grid and that kind of thing and and you know uh, uh, someday he may get a plaque on a a tower somewhere that says hey this is the president who built this grid but that's not going to help in this november and maybe not november 2024 either it's just not in time uh genie i don't know uh i don't know on this one how does the white house get ahead of this problem when the lights start going out uh, that's not good, obviously, as we're, we'd be, you know, within three or four months of the midterms. Yeah, while I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, you know, you're taking a population that's just got through a, a 100-year pandemic. You're attaching onto that this great uncertainty in the markets, inflation, enormous gas prices, people out in California paying $7, $8 a gallon, yeah. and you stack on that rolling, if, if hopefully if they're blackouts, they're just rolling, but they may well, be right. more blackouts. And it's very, very difficult politically for the Democrats to do anything. And, you know, this is why this new generic, uh, this new generic poll that just came out, Battleground poll, shows Republicans beating Democrats by eight points as we go into the midterm, and it mm-hmm. could get worse. So this could be a tsunami in terms of Republicans taking over Congress, unless, of course, uh, Mitch McConnell's worst nightmare, they nominate candidates who can't win a general election and that's where democrats feel a little bit of hope as they look at somebody like mastriano but as we were just talking about you know he could to rick's point win in an environment like this so very precarious for the white house to try to address these things and very few tools at their disposal to do so you you mentioned it uh rick earlier i was talking to somebody you start talking about blackouts they say boy that's kind of like 1978 what else was going on around that time well, uh, how about those uh, long lines? I, I don't expect you to remember this, but I actually had a car then, and uh, and you had to sit in a line to get gas. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to pay six bucks a, a gallon where we might be headed this summer, but yeah. it's another thing to have to wait an hour or so to get that gas. And I don't know how much patience is left in this electric. I was in the back seat of my parents' car. That was back when they could lock the back doors with the double locks, and before the windows, though, only went halfway down. Rick and Jeannie with us for the rest of the hour, our political panel on Sound On. We're going to check the markets again for you. We'll check traffic to help you get home as well. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You know, they like to say Washington is Hollywood for ugly people. And who could blame them? But the staffers on Capitol Hill are about to get in really good shape as we learn from the Republican leadership in our House of Representatives. Democrats are having the something called the House Center for Well-Being uh, make Peloton corporate wellness benefits available to staffers. This includes uh, members of the Capitol Police, the Peloton All Access and Peloton app, as I read in The Hill. Uh, do not require a bike, but do include thousands of on-demand classes. And Kevin McCarthy was worked up about this today, even went after the company itself. Here's the minority leader on the floor. You may be asking, what's Peloton? It's a bike that costs about $2,000. Not only that, each month you pay a monthly subscription fee to ride your $2,000 bike. And best of all, it's stationary. And they charge you about $300 to set it up. So it's a $2,000 bike that you pay to use and pay to set up that doesn't go anywhere. What's a business like that? Well, it's a multi-billion dollar business, publicly traded, actually. Do you get a sense that he has one at home? Uh, Speaker Pelosi's office referred uh, inquiries to the House Administration Committee, uh, which referred reporters to the chief administrative officer. But that's not all. It was the Peloton. That's not all that had Kevin McCarthy upset today. As a sign outside the Food Service Administration in the house, the Rayburn House office building to be more exact, advertised six pack and more with drinks on demand at drinks.house.gov. <laughs> Beer, wine, liquor, juice, soda, more can be ordered for pickup or delivery to your office with valid identification. The idea here is that taxpayer money is underwriting a liquor store, or as we call it in Boston, a a packy in the House of Representatives. The vendor Sedexo, which operates the house cafeterias, now offering same-day orders for alcohol online. As we reassemble the panel, Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Bet you wish you had that when you were working on the Hill, Rick. Well, I'm not saying we didn't have something like that. (laughs) Well, the thing is, you know, everyone knows, look, if you ever spend time on Capitol Hill, you know, staffers frequently go out at night when there are meetings or the office is working late to get food. And there's usually a box of wine and beer or something coming back in as well. The idea, though, is that Sodexo, which is uh, funded in part by taxpayer money, that this is kind of offensive. Is that going too far? Well, I think you could actually rack this up to being medicinal, not celebratory. <laughs> okay. So I mean, I think those people working on Capitol Hill need this for their own well-being. Speaking of well-being, in fact, I would argue that a good bottle of Jack Daniels will make you feel a lot better than a Peloton bicycle will. <laughs> wow. 
And Rick's in, in damn good shape, I should add. Jeannie, do you think Kevin McCarthy is a Peloton at home? Joe, you got me at Packy because, of course, <laughs> I learned a long time ago, nobody outside of, like, Connecticut and Massachusetts refers Those to it as a package stories. Yeah, that's what we mm-hmm. said back in the day. Um, you know, <laughs> I have to say, you know, to deny anybody who has the fortitude to work on Capitol Hill access mm-hmm. to something to increase their mental and physical well-being seems uh, to be a bridge too far. And, of course, you know, uh, Zoe Lofgren and, and Nancy Pelosi said this was rejected. It was access in terms of Peloton to the app. I mean, you can go on and on. But the reality is this is Kevin McCarthy trying to focus on something other than the craziness going on in his own caucus and trying to, you know, appoint the American public to, you know, crazy spending by the Democrats, which did not actually happen. Unbelievable. Uh, As far as the Pelotons go uh, here, Rick, you may you may prefer a bottle of bourbon, but uh, you could say that this is actually appropriate as they compete for talent. I mean, a lot of companies are doing this kind of stuff to retain or to attract or retain employees. Uh, sure. Uh, and and there are all kinds of wonderful perks that goes along with working on Capitol Hill. Uh, you know, those 18 to 22 hour days, uh, you know, they're, they're extremely attractive to people who have insomnia. And uh, so, look, I think I think you've never had a problem recruiting to Capitol Hill. I mean, it is the seat of government. It is where the action is. Uh, and any young politico wants to spend a little bit of time up there. So uh, hopefully uh, the reason people want to gravitate to serving their country isn't because they can ride a stationary bicycle. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, I want to ask you both about Elon Musk while you're here. As uh, he tweets today that he is now going to be voting Republican, says he will vote Republican, slamming Democrats as a party of division and hate. Now, this follows uh, comments that he made uh, last evening that I'd like you both to hear comments about the Biden administration versus the Trump administration. And as he's kind of criticizing Joe Biden here, he, I guess, a backhanded compliment to Donald Trump. Listen to what he said. I mean, this administration just just, it doesn't seem to get a lot done. Like and, you know, um, whatever, like the the Trump administration, leaving Trump aside, there were a lot of people in the administration who were effective at getting things done. So uh, this this administration seems just just to not have like the drive to just get done. Okay, And of course, you have to bleep the CEO of. SpaceX, Tesla, maybe soon Twitter. But this kind of conversation, uh, Jeannie, is actually what people end up talking about at the dinner table, I guess, as well as anything else. When Elon Musk talks now politically, he does seem to be impacting the political conversation. Uh, And this is an interesting development here that he's going to vote Republican all the time as he's trying to buy Twitter, supposedly, and getting people worked up about freedom of speech. How does this end? Well, you know, it's interesting. You've got Jeff Bezos over the weekend, you know, attacking the the Biden administration. You have Elon Musk um, saying he's going to vote Republican, taking Mm -hmm. them on. And, you know, one thing that Democrats can say is the billionaires seem to have a lot of problems with what's coming out of the White House. And in this environment, that may not be such a bad message. Um, You know, what happens with Elon Musk in terms of Twitter is anybody's guess right now. But as we look at what happened in Buffalo, 
Buffalo and we look at the live streaming, not on Twitter, um, that occurred in that context, all of his talk about absolute freedom of speech really raises a number of questions. So as he talks about the Biden administration not getting things done, he has a point. There have been things not done. And of course, Congress owns a lot of that, half of the, those people being Republicans. But there's also a question of what Elon Musk would do if he bought Twitter in terms of things like the speech that came out of Buffalo. So his, you know, there's a lot of questions for Elon Musk and the talk of, you know, this being a Democratic issue in a split Congress is something he also should answer for. In the past, I've got the tweet here, Rick, uh, the whole thing. In the past, I voted Democrat because they were, in parentheses, mostly the kindness party. But he says they've become the party of division and hate, so I can no longer support them and will vote Republican. Now watch their dirty tricks campaign against me unfold with a little popcorn emoji. Is his voice in the political discourse important in, in this midterm cycle? Sure, Joe. I, I think you touched upon it. I mean, there are a group of American voters who want to and and spend time uh, both with the products that he makes, you know, Tesla, solar panels, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the the benefits of the the, the satellite business that are, you know, uh, telecommunications yeah, the uh, and, and, and potentially um, and potentially Twitter. And so, you know, if there's a demographic that's 40 and under gamers, technology people, folks who like to travel, I mean, like the guy hits it hard. And yeah. so I'm sure, look, he's got what I, I forget how many 10 million Twitter followers. That is no small thing. And so when he does speak, there are a lot of people who react to that. And if I were the administration, you know, I'd, I'd find out who was responsible for coordinating with him because it's either yeah. the Department of Defense or the Department of Energy or somebody was talking to a guy who has a lot of exposure to the federal government and say, what sure, can we do to try and get this dialogue changed? Because this is not productive for this administration. Well, Marty Walsh was down at one of his plants, I think the Texas plant, wearing cowboy boots a couple of months ago, uh, Jeannie. But Elon Musk was never invited to any of the, the electric car events, the, the many EV events that the White House had parking GMs and Fords on the South Lawn, would it have made a difference if they had acknowledged his his place in the universe at that point? I think it, it may have. It's hard to tell with Elon Musk, but I think it may have. And he does deserve respect. And it is a big blunder, if it was a blunder, which I'm not sure it was, on the part of the White House, which may be the start of some of his frustration. But again, if you look at what he's talking about, the administration doesn't get things done. Getting things done in Washington requires Congress. Congress is controlled half by Republicans. So Let's just ask him, what could the Republicans have done differently? I mean, the, you know, we have a split Congress. That is where action has to occur, and both parties bear responsibility. So I have a bit of a problem with the focus only on the Democrats in this case. Well, he did say, though, that, you know, the Trump administration got there, saved the president, got things done. Is he, is he suggesting Joe Biden needs a better staff, Rick? Uh, I think that uh, at this point where Joe Biden is, I think starting to chop heads and get a new staff is exactly what is uh, wow. in, in called for. Just wait till to get through November, right? Rick and Jeannie will meet you back here tomorrow on the fastest hour in politics. It's great to have everyone back together again and a lot of good topics that we had to explore tonight. If you showed up late, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.